You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Kyle Daly. So, Kyle, introduce yourself. Come on. Hi, I'm Kyle Daly. I'm a, I'm an engineer. Uh, graduated from Purdue University, and I uh, work uh, for Navistar. They make international truck semis and school buses. But um, kind of missed when I before I started working at Navistar. I uh, used to work in a machine shop, so wanted to get back to doing some stuff with my hands. And one of my coworkers told me about um, a guy, Andy Roy of Fiddleback Forge. And uh, he was doing a lot of work in progress photos and stuff. He was actually an electrical engineer. They got tired of uh, all of the, the stuff you have to do with that. So he started making knives. And um, I was like, those are a lot of, a lot of equipment I'd want from the machine shop. So I got started making knives and my, little hobbies turn a little bit more into a, a side business uh, part of my uh, my life and started a podcast with another guy, Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. And uh, we, uh, we do a podcast called The Knife Perspective and got 14 shows up. On Friday, there'll be 15. And uh, yeah, talk about a talk with a bunch of different knife makers and talk about knife making and a lot of other people that are influential in the knife community. How do you go from making or talking about knives and being a lover of knives to to be like what you do in your day job where you're designing school buses? That seems like a major gap. Yeah. Well, I've always loved knives when I was growing up. Um, Don't we all? Okay. (laughs) What was your first knife you've ever gotten? Everybody remembers this. My first knife was a Swiss Army knife uh, called the Fisherman. It had a little like serpent fish on the side and it had, I don't know, about 15 tools. There was like a little, or there two blades, a fish scaler, can opener and stuff like that. Um, but I actually lost my first one. Not exactly sure how I did because I was always pretty careful with it. And Isn't that bad I, luck if you lose a knife? I, I would imagine. <laughs> But like someone just randomly finds it. it. I don't know. Down the ether. I remember I got my first knife. I went, I used to camp all the time with my dad and um, he gave me 20 bucks to go to the store and like get, you know, whatever I wanted, drinks, whatever to last me to the weekend. They had a small little pocket knife. I mean, the blade was like this thing you'd get off, like, you know, where you clip your toenails or something. It was that little edge. (laughs) So it was, but for, as a kid, you know, not ever having something like that, it was a big thing. So, mm-hmm. and it had cool carvings on the side that said the name of the campground and stuff. And I remember um, I would sit there and whittle a stick. I'd sharpen it like a spear and mm-hmm. I made marshmallow sticks for both of us. And we were used that like later in the night, um, you know, roasting marshmallows and stuff. It, I had a sense of pride from it. I mean, it took me fucking hours, but dude, <laughs> those sticks were sharp. Like you could, I could, if I threw that at a bear, I bet I could pierce through it. But, um, <laughs> my dad was like, damn, that's really good. And I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, make sure you don't do it too close because then you'll end up breaking it because it'll be so brittle but it was like it was a cool experience and i know um i've always had a fascination with like knives i mean my buddy i told him he asked me what i wanted for christmas like last year and i told him i was like i want a big ass hunting knife and he goes you don't hunt you live in a beach town you don't hunt and i was like yeah 
I was like, you don't know when you got to eat a motherfucker. And he goes, what are you talking about? Eat a motherfucker. I was like, I want one of those things that are so dramatically huge that you're like, why? That doesn't even fit on your hip. That when you get into the car, it's like the length of your femur. So like you can't even sit down. You got to dismantle that thing. Because I would always run into people like that would wear a cowboy hat. Okay. Have like, you know, the cowboy look. And they would have this giant ass knife hanging from their belt. I'm like, that's legal. And I'm like, okay, let me let me let me see how far I can go with this. But I'm like, I'm wearing board shorts and I got this giant ass knife. People are asking questions. <laughs> so it's for decoration, but it looks mm-hmm. badass. And I mean, it's not an authentic like $200 knife. It's just something like 30, 40 bucks from Amazon, but it looks mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, machetes are always fun to to play with and chop stuff. It's always fun to whack on wood. Oh, is that what they call it? A machete on a knife? Well, I mean, there's different types, but I mean, there's like hunting knife, Bowie knives. Bowie knives usually are like flatter and then kind of have like a clip point. That's the one like military, so you can just straight up stab and twist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a, yeah, like a K-Bar, the USMC knife is kind of one of the most traditional kind of of that, uh, most iconic. You see it like in Call of Duty and stuff, that's usually what the knife looks like that you stab people with on the video games. There's so many variations. I mean, you can go from the prison shank to the, like the toothbrush that's all whittled down and shaved. And then you just stab people that way. And then, you, I mean, when you, when you talk about knives, you just can't not talk about stabbing something. I mean, that's kind of why you either have it there just to look at it. Like, I mean, I don't know how many times I just take it out of the holster. I remember when he gave it to me for Christmas, my mom was like, What's wrong with you? I'm like, this look how badass this is. Like, do you understand? She's like, when are you ever going to use it? I'm like, I have no clue what's going to happen in the future. You know, we mm-hmm. 2020, the world ends. What happens then? Well, there's people are going to start eating people. Okay. It's just going to happen. I want to be prepared. You know, yeah. you don't, you don't want to be the first one out. I, I, I found it funny. If you ever play Grand Theft Auto, so, you know, just like in real life, they had these commercials that used to play at like two o'clock in the morning at the, there were infomercials and they would just be selling you either like music albums and stuff. But one of them was a knife commercial. Well, Grand Theft Auto, if you turn on the TV for long enough, you get to a channel where they're selling nothing but knives. And I mm. thought it was hilarious because it was a woman going, look at this big motherfucker. And it's like this giant ass <laughs> knife. And he's like, he goes, he goes, you can use it. You can stab a friend. You can stab your wife. You can stab so many people. You don't know if you get caught in a blizzard, you end up having to eat a motherfucker. And I was like, yes, like it was so priceless. But <laughs> the collection of knives. And then I decided to look up one of these uh, commercials. A dude named, his name was Crazy Eddie. You know, his knives were so sharp and his like discounts cut deep. That's what his thing was. (laughs) So he was selling these knives and he goes, you know, there's this knife with the golden handle for $49.99. And I'm like, holy shit. Like seeing him go at it. I'm a kid watching this and I'm like, whoa, like this is two o'clock in the morning and this is a world I have no idea about. This guy's on so much cocaine and he's just selling knives. Yeah, there was a really funny uh, video that Ryan Gosling and Will Ferrell did on Jimmy Kimmel, like the knife guys. It was like a parody yeah, yeah, of that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> they had like the, the uh, like a samurai sword. Cut, it cuts butter like butter. Yeah. Slice <laughs> it down. I'm telling you, it's when you look at all those and you look at all the customs, I like to look up the history behind them too. Like I always had a fascination. I remember when I was a kid, I my grandpa had a samurai sword 
like the um, katanas, mm-hmm. and you can ne- it was it was rusted into the sheath, but um, mm-hmm. he couldn't like get it out. And I always thought like, oh well, he fought in Vietnam and stuff. I figured he might have got it from there or something. Like when I was a kid, and he's like, yeah. no, I got it from a, a like a yard sale. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I got it from a yard sale. So like I remember we took it, finally got it out of its sheath, and we actually dropped the hair on it. And it split the hair in half just by the hair landing on it, like no force or anything. The blade was just mm. still so sharp. And um, cool. it was crazy because, like, I mean, when Bruce Lee, all those movies came out, everyone wanted nunchucks. They wanted brass knuckles. They wanted, you know, ninja stars, shurikens, all these things. It was such a fascination. But it seems like the one dominant thing that seems the most American is a knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most useful tools. It's the first tool uh, that the caveman and stuff used uh, to help with hunting and stuff like that. I've always found it super useful to always have on me and the everybody uh, when they first meet me and stuff, they're like, they're like, why do you why do you carry a knife and like, for all sorts of things. And usually if they're around me for any length of time, they always end up saying, Hey, can I borrow your knife? <laughs> yeah, my my buddy bought me my first knife before I was eighteen. He uh, went to Alabama and got this zombie knife, and it was like it said "zombie hunter" on it. But it was a really mm-hmm. nice, good blade. It was like a sixty dollar knife, and uh, he handed it to me. And he was like, "Yeah, you never know when you're, you need a knife. You need to have one." He always had one clipped on his side, like a small mm-hmm. little tactical one that you could carry around. And he was mm-hmm. like, "Cause you never know the situation you might get in where you might need a knife." And I'm like, "I'm not. I'm not I don't get into fights." He's like, "Just trust me." You know, I remember we did jet skis. We had to cut off a rope. I had nothing to cut the rope off of. He just pulled out his tactical knife. Snip, done. That quick. Yep. A problem was fixed just like that. Yep. Or like little pack or packages uh, with for I have a bunch of kids and they always come in a lot of those little uh, plastic packaging with that's been like sealed all the way around the outside. So you can't steal the stuff as much. Yeah. So cutting that stuff open is super like, there's not a real using a pair of scissors instead of, yeah, me using me me and my teeth trying to get the thing open. And my dad's going to break (laughs) your teeth. I'm like, well, you don't have a knife, sir. Okay. I'm sitting there (laughs) trying to cut it open and end up hurting yourself. And then Mm -hmm. it's funny because when a Capri Sun, you can't get the straw and the Capri Sun, just Mm -hmm. that knife slice. There you go. Drink out of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I drank a lot of those when I was a kid. A bunch of times where I punctured punctured the straw all the way through the other side, and then you're like, "Oh man!" <laughs> Have you ever had like a really memorable experience with a knife? Because I know everyone kind of remembers their first knife that they got. Maybe might have lost it along the way, but like it becomes a little bit of a hobby. Like I kind of relate it to like getting a tattoo or you know getting something like a a car, and then someone that ends up collecting a bunch of cars. It becomes like a personal thing. So like. What was your most memorable experience with a knife? Was it like a situation that you were in or? Um, kind of like one of my first, other than my uncle Jim giving me my my first knife. Um, it wasn't short. It was shortly after that that he actually showed me how to uh, fillet a fish. And we'd use the, the little scaler on my fisherman. So he would have me uh, scale the, the fish and then he would help <clears throat> cut the cut the fish up. So that was kind of one of my, my first, uh, memories with the knife. That was always really cool. Um, I've always loved to fish, but haven't done it for quite a while. Hope I've got twin boys that are three. So hopefully when they get a little bit older, we can, I can start picking up the fishing hobby a little bit more again. It's crazy. Cause if you look at like, are the first influence for a lot of kids 
with a knife is either like a grandpa or someone like my grandpa carries one on his side all the time. And, you know, cause he does a lot of yard work, but then you look at the boy scouts, like the boy scouts were, you know, that was the first thing you got a knife. You learned how to deal with it. Um, <clears throat> it's really weird when you talk about knives, like out in the world or out in the public to someone that isn't like fast or who's not a guy basically. Um, only on the concept of like guys are more like open to it because that's like something you're introduced with as a kid. Where a mm-hmm. girl's not really, not all, I'm not saying all girls, but are, they're not really open to the whole, you know, weapon. And now you're seeing in a, a society, it's becoming more sensitive. Do you feel like people question you more when you have a knife? Kind of, you're not allowed to have this in the restaurant. You're not allowed to have this, you know, in a certain place. I mean, certain people definitely look at you differently for it. Um, one of the dates that I went on before I married my wife, there was a, a girl, she ended up having like a little string hanging off her, her shirt. She's like, man, I need to cut that off. And I like pulled out my knife and like, like cut her. It was like, you mind if I cut it off? And she's like, uh, and I like cut the little string. And then she's like, why do you have that? And I'm like, uh, for situations exactly like this, you need to cut stuff, open boxes, whatever. And she's like, uh, that's really weird. I'm like, it's a tool, like yeah. keep, it, keep it around. And then yeah, she never talked to me again. You just look at social media and all like the, the stuff that comes out like with movies and stuff. And you think a knife is immediately a weapon. It's like, no, it's actually a useful device. Like you don't know, you know, you get something, let's say you're stuck in a situation, you know, you need to cut something, bam, pull that thing out of there. Like, I don't want to pull out fucking safety scissors. You know, mm-hmm. my big thing was I had to wait to get a knife for so long. Cause my parents were like, he can't even use fucking safety scissors. <laughs> like the teacher requested that they not bring them to class anymore because of the safety scissor issue. I'm like, you're giving me a sharp object. It doesn't matter if it's plastic or not. Like I'm going to play with it. It's what, it's <laughs> what I got to do. And even I still do that on my own time. Like I'll be sitting in my room, like spinning a knife or something. Like I had the little one with a circle at the end of it. So you can stick your okay. finger through it and flip around. Yep. And I'll be doing that. Like, I remember I had a switchblade, um, like the little, uh, once you click and it pops out like you know uh the greasers would have okay so i had one of those and i was doing because i saw indiana jones and mm-hmm. the kid the shia labeouf who was in it um mm-hmm. he was taking the knife and flipping around his hand really really fast so i was like holy crap so i would throw it up in the air and catch it and i would keep doing it over and over <laughs> and over again and then one time i was talking to my buddy and i did it and like i flicked it really really fast up in the air i mean i was good at it and i caught the blade and I just look and see blood run down my hand. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm done doing that now. And he's like, how bad is it? I'm like, I don't want to know right now. I'm just going to hold it like this. He's like, just let go of it. I'm like, no, this is a lot of blood coming down now. I guess we're all in. We're all in. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's a, I've had a couple of situations where I've cut myself. And even I've had a couple of times where I like kind of uh, when you're knife grinding, you we use an abrasive belt usually, or a, a lot of abrasives, and you get your fingers really, really close to this belt that's moving really fast and kind of slipped off. I wasn't using, I learned my lesson, well, somewhat learned my lesson on using sharp belts, but I uh, kind of slipped off and I hit my thumb against the, the belt and lost a good portion of the tip of my thumb and was like, hmm, <laughs> like, just was like, that, that's going to bleed and hurt a lot. They're humbling moments. It's like when you're trying to hammer in, like you have a nail and you're sitting there just hammering it and you're holding the nail, you miss and hit your thumb. For a second, you're like, mother, 
and then like you're like okay i need to make sure i'm more cautious next time so next time you mm-hmm. wield a knife you're really just getting more humbled by it understanding how sharp it is and how kind of dangerous it is i mean mm-hmm. it's funny my buddy gave me shit for wanting this giant ass knife for christmas and now every time i go over to his house he's like dude i bought this tactical hatchet i'm like a tactical hatchet he pulls out this thing out of, like a small little hatchet thing is sharp as hell i'm like where do you get all this stuff he's like amazon i'm like damn this is where Amazon's a benefit. Just look up the knife section and hatchet section in Amazon and you will be open to a world of mystery. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of really good knife sites too. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the ones that carries my knives and Dan's knives is uh, Old Town Cutlery. It's O-L-D-E with a, and town as T-O-N-E. So it's the, the kind of older pronunciation of it but uh yeah lee and melissa are great there they have a ton of custom knife makers and stuff that do they have all sorts of crazy stuff and then knife center and blade hq um those are two of the two of the biggest online retailers of of knives and you'll be pretty pretty surprised about all the knives that they have through your experience just with dealing with knives on a like kind of like an everyday thing it's kind of become more from a hobby to kind of like just like a passion of yours like do you find that you've learned a lot more? Like, is there anything like you've come across that you found was interesting? I know recently I was hearing something about a guy that was making the metal for the blade was made out of, I think it's called Damascus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, th- I thought that was interesting because I'm not too familiar with Damascus is. Yeah. So Damascus, uh, we actually have a whole podcast uh, with Stephen Fowler. He's a ABS journeyman Smith. So that's the American Bladesmith Society. And we we talk for a little over two hours, to like just about how you make Damascus and stuff. But uh, it, the so Damascus was actually a process. So Damas was the original word. So it's the layering of steels. So they would put all these different steels and fold them over, fold them over, and fold them over. And um, that came that, what, that came from Greek and Roman um, influence, didn't it? From the Bronze Age. Um, it was um, a lot of the Vikings and then the Japanese that were doing a lot of that. Um, so they would um, try to smelt down the steel and then the uh, the impurities would be in there because they didn't have all the, the higher techniques and controls on it. So they basically just kind of like used a bunch of coal and then everything kind of fell through this chimney thing. And then they got these like... Uh, kind of like ingot blocks, kind of clumps of steel. And then there would be all sorts of stuff in there. And then they would fold and layer the different steels. Uh, so they'd use some of the some of the other stuff to try to in with the better stuff so they can make more swords. Um, and Back in the day when people were jacked. And also, yeah. if your blacksmith died, you better hope he had a son to pick up the career. Or you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. So they, <laughs> They would, uh, yeah, they'd use those, use those steels. So the Damas was the the process. And then um, one of the uh, most kind of, one of the places that it was done the most was Damascus over in the Middle East. So then it kind of, everything kind of got labeled as Damascus. So kind of like Kleenex is the, the name everyone calls everything for tissue paper. That's kind of what Damascus has been since. So it's a it layered steel of uh, usually high carbon and then something with a lot more corrosion resistance. So like some sort of higher nickel steel. And then 
that's what uh, gives you those color differentiations with the black and like silver. Even though some of the knives, like if you walk into Walmart and you see like a bunch of like $20 knives, even though they might probably like, you can tell they're probably made of like a cheap type of metal. It's like, mm-hmm. can you just tell that by looking at a knife, if it has actual like good, like, I guess, ingredients or minerals in it? Or well, material? you can yeah, you look at what the the steel has actually the alloy that it is. So there's a lot of your uh, a lot of your knives at Walmart are going to be like eight CR twenty MOV, which is like a uh, kind of lower end um, steel. So it doesn't quite get as hard. So uh, for a lot of people, that's perfectly fine because they uh, don't need something. It's kind of like when you uh, you start to like. Uh, appreciate the the finer points more and more as you kind of move up as you start with knives i had a whole bunch of like gas station knives when i was growing up and then when i got into best like, places <laughs> to get knives is i like yeah. to get 20 dollars on too hey would you like to buy a big ass knife well shit while i'm here let me get a hot dog as well yeah so uh we uh i kind of once i got into high school and college just started making some of my own money and like started buying some more higher quality knives bench made knives and uh they're a company out of oregon that was kind of that was my first like real good knife and then uh like spider co started buying a bunch of spider co knives they're pretty good too and you can find a bunch of those on amazon and stuff too but yeah once i got i think my first good knife I started really going on to websites and trying to buy like really better knives. Like, well, I started looking mm-hmm. at the, all the ingredients and all the like kind of story and the history behind it. And it's been a giant major influence. And a lot of people are like, I would never touch a knife. They're not bad thing. I'm like, how do you fucking eat then? Cause you got to yeah. cut things with a knife. You're not, that's cutler. That's cutlery. It's not always hunting. I think when you say knives, the first person or first thing somebody thinks of is hunting or they think of war or they think of something that is the extreme case of a knife. But I'm like, or no, it's like just Rambo. Yeah. Rambo. Like, yeah, you want a fucking <laughs> Rambo knife. Like, no, it's, it's also used for like cuttery stuff. I mean, the difference between that too, like you look at a butter knife, okay. That's for easily spreading things, or you mm-hmm. can be a dumbass like me when I was a kid and I'd use a steak knife to make a peanut butter sandwich. You know how ravaged that bread was afterwards? <laughs> it was done. Like there's holes all in it. It looks like someone threw it down the garbage disposal. Yeah. And it, it's, it really shows like, I mean, First of all, just the power. And also, like, I find it amazing that you can look at the content of, you know, just being able to experience all these knives and also be able to tell which ones are like, no, you don't want to get that knife. You want to get this one because that one's going to break on you. That one's a really not classic. I mean, skin's only so mm-hmm. soft. So I don't think, I think for, like you said, yeah. before, the person that, you know, it works for most people. But hey, you know, sometimes you want something of better quality. I would like to be able to have a knife that I could, like throw or use and not have a situation where it would break on me when I actually need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, part of where I got into it was, so I, I always like to eat. I'm a bigger guy and uh, I've always liked to cook. That was uh, kind of one of the second uh, kind of memorable things. My parents always had me in the kitchen helping make breakfast and make food and stuff. So when I started making knives, my first knife was a seven inch Santoku, like a uh, kitchen knife. And uh, yeah, most of the knives that I've made have been been kitchen knives, paring knives, boning knives, uh, chef's knives, 
and the Santokus. So when you look at knives and we talk about make the best materials, so what types of knives are there? Like, are there, there's obviously like a pocket knife, they're bigger knives, but like how many classifications would you say there are with knives? Oh, there's, there's tons. Um, they're, they're kind of mostly broke down between uh, fixed blades. So something that doesn't fold and then folding knives is kind of the two biggest categories. So folding knives and then fixed blade knives. So your kitchen knives and a lot of your hunting knives will fall kind of into the, the fixed blade side. And then the folding knives would be a lot of your, your traditional pocket knives. So there's like stuff your grandpa used to carry with uh, they call them slip joints where they don't really lock. They just kind of like have like a, they kind of open and uh, kind of go to the center and then, or the middle and then open all the way. So uh, where they don't actually have a lock, uh, they call those traditional slip joints. And then they have a lot of, there's tons and tons and tons of different locking mechanisms on a lot of the tactical knives. Um, have you ever heard of a knife called the wasp knife? Yeah, that's like the triangular uh, blade with holes in it that you can press like a CO2 cartridge or something in there. Isn't that fucking nuts? You literally can yep. stab somebody and then it shoots out like 800 PSI of CO2 inside the person. Yeah. Yeah, that one's that one's pretty, pretty wicked. <laughs> like, that's a crazy concept. Like, there's just one person like, hey, I created this thing. It's used to cutting. And then people are just like, I want to try and make my own version of that. And then eventually people are like, like a pen knife. There's history behind a pen knife that was named that because they used to sharpen quills. Mm -hmm. Like that's amazing factual stuff that like a lot of people aren't aware of when they look at a knife. Like when you really try and decide to dive into a concept, I think everyone looks at the really, really awesome like ones like, like French gangsters used to have that were like a gun had a knife and it was also brass knuckles at the same time. Mm -hmm. You're like, what the hell is this? Like, this looks like something out of like, you know, like a, you gave a kid crack and he decided like, draw me a knife. And he just drew like everything in one, like too much or something. <laughs> and it yeah, was we, like, that was a big influence. So like with um, mobsters and stuff. Yeah. We had a guy on who's the the president of knife rights on our podcast, Doug Ritter. He, uh, the knife rights is kind of like uh, a similar organization that at the NRA kind of is for guns and they've actually tr done a lot to remove a lot of anti knife legislation that was brought on a lot by those like uh, the gangs with the switchblades. They would portray them a lot in movies and stuff where they'd have the knife and they push the button and the blade would shoot out. And then uh, a lot of the States and stuff wrote tons of uh, switchblade laws. Well now with bearings and all sorts of manufacturing tolerances, like, uh, almost every knife can be opened as quick or just behind how fast a switchblade could actually open. So they're not any more dangerous or easy to get out than any other thing. So they've actually been getting a lot of those laws taken off the, off the books now in a lot of those states. Do you find that like your prediction maybe for the future, do you think that knives are going to still be a concept? Like, or do you think it's going to be a lot harder to get them? It seems like, you know, any person, as long as you're over the age of 18 can get a knife, but do you think that's going to change just with the way people are becoming a little bit more sensitive towards things that they might not need to be so sensitive about? Uh, it could be definitely could be. Um, I hope not. I, I love, I love knives and love carrying them around and going to try to teach my boys that way. Um, and to be very safe with them. That's the, the foremost thing. My, one of my boys, uh, Aaron, he, uh, he was 
always wanting to grab knives out of the knife block. And then we ended up buying a set of uh, plastic knives that are kind of like have like some little plastic serrations on there. And th those are his knives. And he uses them to cut up shrimp. And uh, you can kind of get through vegetables. It's not very clean, <laughs> but uh, he likes to likes to do his little thing with the, the knives and stuff and teach him, keep your hands away, keep your hand over here and show him the motion and kind of help him with the slicing motion. So we're trying to, trying to get I, him. He's, I try not to cut my vegetables. Cause like I, I, I watched a chef show and I was getting religious by it. Like I was just watching nothing but cooking shows and I would see where they would chop it really, really fast. And I was like, I bet I can do that. You know, I did the first stick of celery really, really nice. <laughs> then the second, yeah. second one, I sliced my finger open so bad. I was like, Nope, that's it. I'm just gonna <laughs> bite it with my mouth and spit it back. Oh, that's yeah, if you ever watch Chopped, almost every episode they have someone cut themselves and they have to put a glove over their hand or whatever. Yeah, you look at someone that's really good with a knife and you're like, you're either a hunter or you're a chef. And the guy's like, I'm a chef. This is why I can like dice up things. And it's a good way, like, too. I mean, honestly, like, if you love knives and you love to eat, like, that's a perfect combination right there because mm -hmm. it's a essential tool i don't know how many times do you use a knife in the kitchen all the time yeah and and that's what i tell a lot of people when they're when they're looking to buy custom knives and stuff uh, a lot of people get the bloodlust for the hunting knives and stuff and i'm like you're 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 willing to pay a ton of money for a knife that you maybe use once every couple of years for a hunting trip but you don't want to spend more than like 20 bucks on a, a kitchen knife that you literally use like every day or every other day and they're like well when you put it like that maybe i should and then it's like well like i mean i I'm, cut i cut fruit all the time so i'm cutting pineapple and stuff i bought just went to the dollar store picked up a dollar knife and it was this giant long ass like butcher size knife and it works perfectly fine i mean it does the mm -hmm. job you know if i i usually cut a lot of frozen fruit as well so eventually the blade starts to bend i'm like all right time to get a new one you know but yeah. I, I i still know like you know, it's an essential tool. I mean, you look at, I, I kind of want to ask you about all the rules and regulations that are going on. Like, I know that there's a, a law about it. Like if it's a pocket knife, it has to fit inside the palm of your hand or something. Uh, that That's not really, not really, that's kind of like a guideline, not really uh, the law. But uh, so in most, or in like pretty much all 50 states, uh, three inches is the, the legal limit for a folding knife. I thought the uh, average then, was six. <laughs> so the um that's the blade length but then um in a lot of states three and a half is the the legal limit so you didn't need to check your and uh, knife rights has a really good website uh where you can put in what state you're in and it'll tell you and point you to a lot of different codes that are specifically to the the rules and regulations for your state i got that beat by two inches <laughs> I, yeah. I i i like it because like it's crazy because like you get to see actually what people can like i could see a person that carries a giant hunting knife on their side and i'm like how is that legal if it has to be within the palm of your hand and surprisingly it doesn't ever really get brought up like cops have knives on the side of their waistband is too mm -hmm. it's more of a tactical knife it goes in a sheath not really clipped away um yeah. And there's different there's different laws for uh, fixed blades and folders. So folding knives, the the 50 state legal thing is uh, three inches, and for hunting knives or like fixed blade knives uh, for open carry, so like not concealed. I think uh, it's usually like nine nine inches or something is for most knives, and then they have like another specification for like machetes and stuff that are. 
legal. Bro, I'm about to start carrying my hunting knife if I if that is in my regulations. It's in a sheath. Like, come on, it's not easily flippable. I can't just rip it out and be like, hey, you want to mess with me? No, it's like this thing I gotta sit there, unclip the motherfucker. It has three straps on it, so I have to go clip, 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 and I pull them out. And by the time I pull it out, like if someone if, if someone's really creating a conflict, they could stop me at any moment. But I would never use it in that way. It just looks mm-hmm. badass. I mean, imagine carrying that around. I just feel like everybody it's like having a, a snake on your shoulder or something. It's not you're doing it for attention. It's not not mm-hmm. getting brought up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's like a lot of people that even though it's legal to open carry rifles and stuff that you make make a ton of people uneasy just doing it. Do you find if it's legal? Do you find that uh, just kind of with your experience of doing the podcast and everything you're you're learning more and more about knives every single day? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten to talk to a bunch of people that I didn't think that I was actually going to talk to. Uh, I I had heard of Stephen Fowler a couple times, and I've, we've done two episodes with him on the podcast. And uh, I definitely, when we go to a Blade Show this year, I definitely need to make it over there to his table to to meet him in person. And uh, just a bunch of different cool people. We've got a couple leads for some a bunch of really cool people that are going to be on the podcast. So, have you ever? Um, you should try and get someone to talk about obsidian blades. Okay. Because obsidian blades are apparently so sharp that they can cut you on like a cellular level. Yeah, so obsidian is like almost like a stone. And uh, you can get the, they can have a, that's what they used for surgery a ton before they they had uh, all the refining processes that we have now to make uh, surgical scalpels. So they had actually, that was kind of almost where they were like flint napping the blade. So that's what the surgeons would do was they you could get them to such a fine edge to to make a a more precise detailed incision do you find that like there's obviously different types of blade but like i think some of my fascinating like least ones like blades that i like or find most like kind of appealing to me are the older kind of classic ones with like hieroglyphics on the side like used for rituals and these things they just seemed like they were look they have a little bit more of an aesthetic appeal to it whether or not they were sharper whether or not they were more effective they just looked better i like that whole kind of scenario i found like with um i'm very into greek and roman culture uh, so when I used to see like, you know, the blades and the types of things that they had, like through history museums and stuff, like they brought one from the past. I was like, this is really, really fascinating. You get to see like they used to put art on their blades. Like mm-hmm. I know people that used to not know people, but I knew some like people back in the day um, that I learned through my history books of that used to have scriptures that they would write into their knives. So when they stabbed somebody or when they um, killed something, it left that scripture in there. Like a lot of like mm-hmm. uh, famous hunters back in like the old, like kind of like 17th century, mm-hmm. it would stab a deer and inside of that, on that knife, on the inscription that would leave a mark inside the flesh, they mm-hmm. would, it would be a prayer. So they wouldn't have to sit there and pray after they killed something. They just, you know, that's it. They just lug it out. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I think that's pretty like, that's pretty interesting to know about. Yeah. There's always lots of really cool things. Different cultures do different things. The the Japanese, I would always make sure they'd have the person's name and uh, there'd be a, some different information on the, the inscriptions on the blades they'd usually always put uh kind of i think they would put where they're the school that they usually learned under or the, the 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 person that they learned from on their blades and um it was really cool with all the different uh different things 
there have been with the the laser engravers and stuff now it's been really cool watching some of the different knife makers do different uh different designs one of the guys that i know has a just got a laser engraver and he put the like a samurai down the down his cleaver and uh there's a picture of it on my instagram i believe and uh it was super cool and probably going to try to try to integrate some more of that stuff as people ask for it have you tried to uh, create your own custom knife and try to make it or have you ever tried to get one done by somebody professionally like an idea like you drew it out and everything uh, I pretty much just get other people's uh, knives since I I can make them myself. I I test out some of my own or ideas and stuff myself now. So what's but, your favorite uh, design kind of for it? So I I really like kitchen knives. That's one of my my favorites. So I, my my two favorites are the the bigger knives. So the eight inch chef's knife and the seven inch santoku. Those are the the two that I grab grab the most out of the kitchen block. I would, I would try and find like if i was going to create a knife i just got this good idea of this giant like maybe like almost a machete size knife but it looks like a shark bit out of it so it's got the indentations of like like it looks like a shark bite but that's a sharp thing so you can hook something in with the knife and yeah. then rip it like you can pull it instead of sitting there and cutting it you could clip it like a string or something and rip it and obviously yeah. you get into a battle with someone just like ah like, you know <laughs> but i mean, it's yeah. I think that's pretty um, cool because you get to see all the creations that people have, like, you know, forging them out of, you know, I know there's a company, um, this guy that creates knives using fallen meteorite, okay. like the stuff from space. And I'm like, whoa, yep. that's a crazy concept in itself. You're literally mm -hmm. making like you're stabbing someone with space at, at that point. Yeah, there are a bunch of custom knife makers that like Blade Show that do like razor blades and different knives where they fold meteorite in in with the mix. So meteorite itself isn't exactly the greatest for blade steel because it doesn't have it's not a high carbon. It's just just like pure iron mainly. So uh, you're kind of using it just for the having something like that and uh, the unique the kind of design. Of yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because I mean, like I said, it's pretty fascinating, but you know, I look at knives and I look at all these things and I still just think back to that commercial of the dude selling knives. Like, have you never had a moment in your life where you just wanted to do like a parody of that? <laughs> Not exactly, but I, they're, they're pretty funny. I, there's one, one really famous infomercial uh, things. It was like, qvc or something he's like talking it's like the great thing about these practice katanas is how they're so sharp and like as he's doing he's like whacking the the sword against the bench and it breaks in half and like stabs him in the stomach <laughs> so i want to see like someone make a cooking show but using a samurai sword like this is how we're going to spread the butter and we sit there and it just yeah. slices the whole table in half like damn yeah. <laughs> those commercials were they came at the i think the most like it's like when you're up at one o'clock in the morning and you need to go to bed and you have that dumb laughter like everything is funny mm -hmm. when that comes on you're like is this a thing and it's just some dude going ham like on 10 bags of coke just going look at this now this now for 86.99 if you call right now we will drop it to seven ninety nine i'm like this guy just gave me a 75 dollar deal on this shit like holy hell <laughs> yeah the some of those like uh, qvc stuff it's unbelievable how 
how uh, how cheap they can get some of those knives. And it's actually been really funny. Like everybody's like, I don't want any of those Chinese knives. And uh, in the knife industry, the Chinese are actually making like a lot better high end knives. And they've actually been outsourced, like creating separate brands and outsourcing a lot of their like super cheap knives to Taiwan and Pakistan now. So it's been interesting watching how they kind of like came up with like super, super junky knives and then uh, have started making some really good stuff. So like back in with World War II, Japan made everybody, everybody was like, I don't want any of that Japanese stuff. And now Japan makes some of the the best stuff uh, car wise and electronics of, of anybody. Cause they, they just started getting into it and then uh, refined their processes and stuff. Now, do you know this kind of, I guess, is it um i guess it's uh like a like a luck thing but when you give when you gift somebody a knife they have to give you at least a penny um i've heard of something like that but i've i've given lots of knives away because <laughs> I've, I've always like you know when i was gifted a knife it was for a penny i was like but it's my birthday yeah you still got to give me a penny i'm like well shit i'm still paying for it anyway yeah yeah, I've heard I've heard that with wallets too. Like if you give somebody a wallet or a purse, it should always have like a some um, money in it. Yeah. Well, apparently not all knives have to be sharpened. Is that actually true? Like for it depends on the application. Like for butter knives and stuff that you're spreading stuff, lots of cheese knives don't have an extremely sharp edge. It's kind of more for just kind of like uh the soft cheeses and then even some of the hard cheeses, they don't really sharpen them. They use uh almost like a, a leaf shaped blade and then push the point in and it uh, kind of cracks the cheese instead of cutting it. So like a lot of your Parmesan and stuff like that'll be, uh, that's why you see it kind of like all broke up into chunks when you buy it off of the big wheel instead of it being more like slices. So oh, hold on a second. So have you ever come across cheese that you couldn't cut? Well, I mean, like Parmesan cheese is is hard to cut because it's so so hard. Uh, the knife wants to not you can't really. There's so much drag that it's hard to get like a slicing motion. But that's why, like in the grocery store and stuff, they just break the chunks of Parmesan instead of uh, like cutting it with slices and slices and stuff. The more you know, holy shit! I just learned something that that there's a knife that can't cut cheese. Well, I, can I mean, cut the you, cheese like that. <laughs> I mean, you can cut cheese. It's just a lot more, uh, a lot more effective to kind of break it. I'm trying to think of, you know, is there anything like you've had a bad experience with a knife? I mean, I've had, like I said, flipping the blade like over and over and over again and then catching it. That was not a fun experience. But have you ever had anything that made you kind of stay away from it from a mm -hmm. little bit? Um. Not really. I mean, I've, I've pretty much always, uh, tried to be super safe. Um, I lost one of my corners of my, so a bit back in boy Scouts, they give you the, the whittler's badge and you have a card. And if you lose all four corners, then you have to like redo your safety class thing. And, uh, I got one of my corners, like taken off cause, uh, my Swiss army knife, it doesn't lock. And that's one of the things that I, I didn't really like and still don't really like about the, the boy scouts is they don't want you to have locking uh folding knives and they they pretty much fixed blades are completely out of the question and those are like some of the more safe uh knives than knives that don't lock and 
when I was using the knife, I flipped it over and then the, the blade actually came back down and uh, closed on my hand. Um, so that was, that was probably one of the, one of the more worse uh, things with the knife. The, the, the biggest, the, probably the worst uh, injury I ever had was actually with a mandolin. So where you like uh, use a cut of vegetable and you like do all the little slices. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, I got my thumb right here and lost a pretty good chunk of my, my thumb sli- sliced it right off. Yeah. At a wood shop teacher only had three fingers. Yeah. But he kept them all. Like he, he, he didn't lose them doing wood shop. He lost them in the kitchen. Okay. I was like, how do you work around these machines? And that's why you lost your fingers, right? He goes, nah, man. He goes, you know, kitchen. I was like, what do you mean kitchen? He goes, I was cutting shit. And next thing I know, I cut my finger off. That's <laughs> part of the salad. I was like, oh my. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, wicked. I think that's what scares a lot of people because, you know, they look at everything that's kind of played on movies and stuff. And that's not really how it is. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot more people should be open to it. It's not only a right, really. Um, but it's not meant to be in defense, but it's also an essential tool like we were talking about. I mean, the Swiss Army knife that has so many other capabilities onto it too. It could be a nail clipper. It can be a corkscrew on the side of it. Like there's so many qualifications to it. I definitely think the Swiss looked at it more from a tactical perspective. They were like, let's try and make it so if you get stuck, you can survive, you Mm -hmm. know, having a a can opener. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're actually a lot more likely to cut yourself with a dull knife than you are a, a sharp knife. Yeah, and the because reason, you apply more pressure, right? Yeah, and so when when the knife actually does cut, you have a lot more force that you have a more uncontrolled knife. Where you have when you have a sharper, um, you can make a lot more uh, detailed fine cuts. Plus, you're cutting a lot faster because you're slicing through that thing like it's butter. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm cutting through this car like it's butter. Yeah, you know? there's a there's a really awesome guy that actually just won the uh, Blade Show West cutting competition for the chef division. He's, his name's Chef Living Good on Instagram. And if you watch some of his stuff, he, he'll cut like, uh, cut a zucchini or cucumber into like a bajillion little slices. Just like, pretty crazy does that scare you when you go to a uh, steakhouse restaurant or tokyo steakhouse or something and the dude has the blades and he's doing the art of shinjitsu where it's like spinning the blades around and stuff does that ever freak you out uh not really because i i know that they know what they're doing but uh they're the people they though like they'll <laughs> yeah. slip up next thing you know instead of getting a shrimp to the mouth you're getting a freaking side butcher knife <laughs> in the side of the head like oh, might be eating there for free for the rest of your life if that happens but um yeah, the part that always gets me with those ones is uh, when they like cut all the steak like on the grill top, like on the steel surface. I'm like, oh, and uh, that's why at the very beginning of those like hibachi places, they they sharpen the knife is because it's completely dull after they're done with it from cutting on steel. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. I remember I went one time with my buddy. We went to Sakura, and he brought this girl with him, and the her ex-boyfriend was the, our chef at our table and mm-hmm. i just kept looking i'm like we need to go he's like why i'm like because at any moment he's flipping knives he's just gonna and slice right in the side of the head dude and he's like <laughs> nah man he's good he's good and you could tell like it was a little bit awkward like him serving you know he ended up skipping my buddy like five times for shrimp my buddy's <laughs> like i'm ready dude toss me a shrimp and the guy just like would pass by him like not even look at him I'm like see he's getting you that way. he's getting you the passive way <laughs> That's funny. 
Well, hey, Kyle, I appreciate you taking the time. At least I know we tried to set this up a couple of times. So I appreciate you, you working with me and everything. And I want yep. to give you here a minute at the end to kind of promote your content a little bit too. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at cagedailyknives.com. That has my my website. And on there, you can find a bunch of my work. And uh, there's also a, a page on there where it has a bunch of my available knives. And then I have some so a dealer, uh, Old Town Cutlery, they carry a bunch of my knives. Lee and Melissa are great there. Um, it's a family-owned uh, business and uh, some really good people there. And then um, I have a YouTube channel that I've got a couple of videos up. I want to try to get more into that, but I've been uh, busy with other stuff, having, having uh, my boys uh, really cut down on a lot of that content. But um, yeah, we do a podcast called Knife Perspective. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and pretty much any of the, the podcast player apps. And we talk about um, everything with a bunch of knife makers and different different content there. Um, it's been super fun. Lots of, lots of laughs and some good uh, knife making stuff, especially if you're interested in the steels, the history behind a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah, I think or my Instagram, cagedailyknives.com or cagedailyknives, sorry. And uh, I, I'm pretty active on there. If you ever have any questions, uh, I usually try to respond to every every message that I get. So um, he takes all types of questions. We're talking about what what's best to cut a watermelon with? What's best to cut a person with? You, <laughs> you, you, he will give you the answer and he will tell you the exact knife that you can be done effectively and most of all, quietly. <laughs> thanks well thanks so much Kyle for being on the podcast and stay tuned yeah. for another episode of Out of the Blank <laughs>